Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I am your host, Reagan Rose. Hey guys, I hope you are having a lovely Monday or whatever day you're listening to this on. I am in the midst of moving. The secret is out. If you didn't listen to last week's podcast, I am moving from California back to my home state of Michigan. I'm going to be working for Not The Bee, which is like the Babylon Bee, but the opposite of it. And yeah, next week is move day. So I have been packing, 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 and just trying to get everything done. But it's good. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a new chapter, but we're going to be near family and excited for what the Lord has for us. So I'm probably not going to have an episode for you next week. We're just going to be, you know, moving across the country. And so I just expect with all the hubbub of moving that I'm probably not going to have time to record something. But I will be back after that. And like I said last time, stick with me. There might be a little bit of a lull here of content, but I really uh, do expect that we're going to have more time. I have a ton of topics I want to get into with you. And I expect that on the other side of this move, you're going to be seeing a lot more of me and redeeming productivity. Okay, that's enough of that. Please do, if you like this podcast, subscribe, tell your friends, tweet about it. And also, if you want to help support my efforts with Redeeming Productivity, help me to give more time to this, consider supporting me on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash redeemingprod, and there for just a couple bucks a month, you can get access to exclusive updates and things like that. I have stickers for the $5 and up Patreons. They look really cool. You can stick them on stuff. They adhere very well, which is the sign of a good sticker. And I have more little giveaway things like that coming your way soon. And to my current Patreon supporters, appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for your support. It means a ton to me and it helps me keep producing content like this. Speaking of this, what are we talking about today? Well, I was kind of combing through things I've written on in the past, things I've thought on in the past, and a subject which I find interesting is the subject of optimism versus pessimism. And I, and I wrote a piece on this maybe two or three years ago. And not for this blog, it's for the Master Seminary blog. And you can find it, I'll link to it. It's called, Should I Be Optimistic? And it's just a question I've considered throughout my life. And it, it does have to do with personal productivity because I think that it's true that people who are generally more optimistic tend to be more successful in their endeavors, whatever those are. They tend to be happier, of course, but they also tend to accomplish more things. And some people will chalk that up to sort of like a mystical type of optimism, which is not what I'm talking about on here. Okay, so let me just get that out of the way first. We're going to be talking about how Christians should all be optimists. That's going to be my thesis here. We're also going to talk about the results of being an optimistic person, about thinking positively. And what I want to get out of the way first is that I am not, in fact, I am radically against the notions of that are more mystical surrounding this topic. Like, there's a famous book by Norman Vincent Peale called The The Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, In it, he kind of argues that if you change your attitude about life, everything will work out for you, you know? So if you you train your mind to have a positive outlook, everything's just going to line up for you. 
I think like any good lie, there is some truth embedded in that, but it very much was a almost a religious type application of that, that if you think positively, the universe will reward you. That sort of message was made more overt in the popular book, The Secret, if you remember that. This idea about positive confession, if that if you declare something to be true, you'll attract it to you, right? Have you heard of the law of attraction? Like if you, if you think about, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, like the universe will say, oh, I guess this guy's a millionaire. I'm going to, you know, make luck come his way. And of course, within Christianity or what calls itself Christianity, this type of positive confession has been adopted by the prosperity gospel movement. And they'll say very similar things. You'll hear preachers on TV or on the radio say very similar things to that, that, you know, you have to declare that you're blessed and and then God's going to give you money, you know, declare that I have this big fat wallet and then God will do that for you. No, sorry, that's not Christianity. It's not. That's paganism. That's some bizarre pseudo-religion. That's not biblical. And so I I condemn that. I don't agree with that at all. But here's the thing. I think a lot of Christians go the opposite direction with it. And a lot of Christians I have met are not optimistic in the least. In fact, they're quite dour. And they're kind of downers in general. I call them evangelical Eeyores. And maybe you know people like this. Maybe you are a person like this. It's someone who seems to kind of get a kick out of raining on other people's parades. And I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't think it's right. I'm going to argue for why you should be an optimist. Every Christian should be. And why there's actually tangential benefits. But like really, really optimistic people, and I think this is maybe why some people go the other way, they can be a little bit annoying sometimes. <laughs> uh, so you probably know the type. It's this person who like always has this rosy attitude and, you know what, you know, things are going to work out. I just know it. And their joyful attitude can be an encouragement to some people, but for others, their perkiness can be kind of grating. <laughs> and on the other side of it, like I said, is like the pessimists. These are the people that are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're always looking for the rain in the cloud. They're constantly expecting the worst. And they might not call themselves pessimists. They might say that they're realists or something. Uh, often these are people who have had some sort of pain in their life and they expect more of it in the future, right? And so they're kind of guarding themselves against that by setting low expectations. And I think maybe not consciously, but on some level they reason, why would I be gullible like the optimist and then risk getting flat-footed when inevitably there's going to be some calamity or some pain in my life? And I think for a long time, I thought this way. You know, I've mentioned before, I did an episode a while back on my testimony. My father died when I was really, really young. And I think that that kind of shaped some of my outlook about the world, you know, where you're kind of just like, you have this looming thought, this looming dread that something bad is going to happen. And to guard yourself against that just totally crushing you and getting blindsided by it, you adopt maybe a pessimistic attitude and you say, things are, things are looking good, real good right now, but that probably means something bad's going to happen. And I just don't think that's healthy and it's not right. It's not right for Christians to be pessimists. They shouldn't be. I think that every believer 
should be an optimist. We should always be expecting the best. It, it doesn't mean that we're being blissfully unaware of the pains of life or anything like that. But I think even in the midst of pain and confusion and disappointment, because we have a hope that is grounded in the promises of God, we can have a positive outlook, like an extremely positive and ultimately positive outlook on things. And this translates in a very real, tangible way to how you approach everything in life. So let's say you're an entrepreneur, right? You're trying to build a little business. If you have an attitude that things are always going to go wrong, things are always going to be bad, and you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, well, good luck. It's not going to work out for you. It's not. Practically, having a bad attitude leads to bad results. You tend to self-sabotage. You tend to take fewer risks because you assume that the risk is going to fail. And it is generally true in life that fortune does favor the bold. You know, if you don't risk things, you won't gain things. And so a negative, pessimistic attitude ends up making you less productive in life. And the thing's equally true for, say, you're a retired person. And you're thinking, wow, my best years are behind me. I have nothing else to do. You know, maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you never had kids. And you're just thinking, well, what do I do now? I'm, I'm really kind of useless. Well, that's a pessimistic, completely wrong attitude about life. Why? Because God puts you on this planet for a reason. He puts you here to glorify himself. And let's do a little calculus together. If you are still alive, you are still on a mission from God, <laughs> like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you're 95 years old and you're completely blind and, you, and you're like, what on earth do I do? Like, I have, like, what do I have to offer? You're wondering that. Well, if God hasn't taken you home yet, he's still got work for you to do. And that should make you optimistic. You have something to do. You have something to give. You can't have a pessimistic attitude. So those are some of the specifics. Let me, let me kind of abstractify this a little bit. Why should we be optimistic? Well, here's what I think. I think Christians should be reasonably happy <laughs> or reasonably optimistic. I do not believe that the Bible calls us to be like kind of like Pollyannas, like illogically optimistic, right? When people think of optimists, I think sometimes this is the type of person they think of. They have that like can-do attitude and, and they're going to overcome adversity by virtue of their bubbly disposition. It's just like, no, like that's, they just really have no basis for that optimism. That's just, it's more of a personality trait, right? When I say be reasonably happy or reasonably optimistic, I mean it in the sense that you have a basis for your optimism. Christians can be reasonably happy because our joy, our outlook on life, our, our confidence that things ultimately will work out well in the end is based on the promises of God. They're true and sure groundings for them. And this is made most apparent in Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What more confidence do you need than that? 
Like, that's a verse for optimists, isn't it? If you know the end, you know that things are going to work out well, you should have a very good attitude about that. You should have a positive disposition. But you should not be an evangelical Eeyore. You should not be, oh, bother. Yeah, of course, something bad happened again. And you walk out in the morning, looks like rain. Oh, well. No, you shouldn't be that way. You should generally be optimistic. Because if the sovereign hand which upholds the universe is weaving even the pains of your life together for your good, what is there to complain about? What reasonable basis do you have for grumbling about bad things coming in threes or rolling your eyes with another here we go again at every little inconvenience? If you're a Christian, pessimism doesn't make you a realist. Pessimism makes you a questioner of God's character and of his promises. You're not a realist. You're not someone grounded in reality. You just don't believe what God has said is true. And the promises for believers, they, they go even further than this present life. And that's why I talked about being an, an ultimate optimist. And maybe we'll say an eternal optimist. We know that even the worst case scenario, what is the worst case scenario? I suppose you get killed, right? So like death is probably the worst case scenario for a Christian. Maybe a lot of pain before you die. Maybe some torture, then death. That's, that's a pretty bad case scenario. But ultimately... Christians can be optimistic because we know the end is guaranteed. We don't know along the way what ups and downs there will be in life, but we do know that ultimately we should have a positive outlook because we're going to heaven. Your best life truly is ahead of you. And I think this is especially powerful for people who feel like their best days are behind them. Maybe you've been in an accident. Maybe you've had some terrible, terrible setbacks in life and you think the glory days are gone. No, they're not. Glory is ahead of you. Glory comes in the other side of the veil. And that sounds like something an optimist would say, doesn't it? Yeah, because I'm an optimist. See, pessimists tend to think things are only going to go from bad to worst. And it's true that things may get worse before they get better. But if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, things ultimately will get better. Much, much, much better. I mean, check this out. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's, he's writing to the Corinthians, and this is his encouragement to them to not give up in the face of adversity. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying in comparison to what awaits the Christian, whatever you're facing in life, whatever you could potentially face in life negatively, is momentary and it is light. It is momentary because, like you said, it's temporal. It's not eternal. It's light because there is a weight of glory coming that is far, just blast the scales into oblivion of whatever the hardest affliction you could possibly face is. Therefore, we should have a positive outlook. As children of the king, we have an inheritance waiting for us, an eternal weight beyond all comparison, he says. And, and that treasure in heaven, you think, well, what if it gets lost? What if it gets stolen? What if it gets destroyed? Nope, it's safe. It says it's kept 
safe from loss or ruin, Matthew 6, 19. It's imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away, 1 Peter 1, 4. All of the things that could happen to your earthly possessions cannot happen to the treasure that awaits a Christian in heaven. In the ark of God's promises, your heavenly destiny, it it floats safely atop the waters of life's greatest floods. And so we don't lose heart, even in the face of the greatest earthly loss you could possibly face. That is being reasonably happy. That is being eternally optimistic. And this prepares us, which I've alluded to, to being joyfully long-suffering. James says that we're to consider it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. That's James 1-2. That sounds like the kind of thing an optimist would say, doesn't it? That's the kind of thing a pessimist might roll their eyes at. What do you mean, have joy when you face trials? That just sounds like not being realistic. It sounds like an empty platitude from Mary Poppins (laughs) until you think about it and recognize it in the light of God's promises. We might instinctively ask, how does God expect me to be happy and joyful when I'm suffering? But for the answer, we look at the promises of God. James finishes that statement. He says, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, right? Here's, it's, here's the rational basis for us. Here's the knowledge that makes you optimistic in the face of trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, when you face trials, it's not because God slipped up or or forgotten about you or anything like that. No, those trials are the means by which he is maturing you. He is pruning you, like it says in in John, pruning you to be more fruitful, to produce more good works. In here, it says testing your faith, right? He's helping to boil off the dross. He's making your faith more pure, more strong. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's what you want. If your desire is to be a productive Christian, to bring God the most glory you can with this life, then trials are a means toward that ends and definitely a cause for rejoicing. See what I mean? That's not just positive thinking. It's not nonsense. It's a considered approach towards trials, which takes into account a sure promise of God. And so even though the result doesn't look good right now, you know ultimately it is for your good. So you might be an optimist by personality already. What I would say to you is be encouraged. You should be an optimist. But I'd also say that you need to make sure that your optimism about life is grounded in truth, that it's not just your personality or because you you memorized a bunch of platitudes from a daily calendar. (laughs) Cheap platitudes are not enough to produce deep joy in the face of trials. We need a stronger medicine. We need a firmer grounding. And, and God gives us grounds for joy in the face of trials with his promises. So even whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, ground your confidence in what God has promised. So, yeah, you should be an optimist. You definitely should. Because God has given you, says in 2 Peter 1.4, his precious and magnificent promises. And that should make us the most firmly optimistic people in the world. So I have now argued, (laughs) hopefully effectively, that you should be an optimist. And I have alluded to and and given you some thoughts about how optimism translates into productivity, because it does. 
but here, here's kind of the difference in how I think a, a biblically productive Christian approaches it. Those books I mentioned in the beginning, Power Positive Thinking, The Secret, even some of like the Joel Osteen type positive thinking stuff where you look in the mirror and you're like, ah, I'm wonderful. That is not the type of optimism we want. The world looks at optimism as a means to an end. They say, we need to be optimistic because it works. It gets results, right? I need to be thankful. I need to have a positive outlook because it means I'm going to get results. For the Christian, we should be optimistic because it's true that the best is ahead of us, that God has prepared for this this eternal weight of glory. It's true that God has planned good works for us to walk in since before the foundation of the world, that there is work for us to do now and it will glorify him and it will produce fruit, right? It's true first, but it also produces results. Optimism is true and it gets results. So the pessimist in the face of of issues or even in the face of maybe a big project or a big thing they have to face, they're going to give up. But the optimist digs in. And that's the type of people we should have. We should have the grit that comes not from personality, but from the promises of God. And if you actively cultivate trust in God's promises in yourself, you will generally believe that things are going to work out for the best. That's just going to change the way you think about things. And if you're trying to live your life according to God's will, they are going to work out. Every time, even it might be necessarily exactly how you planned everything to work out. But even if you launch into some venture and tough trials befall you and ruin your plans, ultimately, if your main goal is to glorify God and to live according to his will, you're always moving in the right direction because God is either blessing your plans or he's refining you through their failure. That's awesome. That's called a win-win. That's called a can't-lose strategy for success. If your definition of success is whatever pleases God, you will always succeed. (laughs) That's called cheating at life. Just kidding. It's called being a Christian. And this is exactly what we're made to do. We're made to produce fruit for God. We were made to glorify him with our lives. We don't always do that perfectly. Obviously, we're fallen creatures. But if that's what you're seeking to do, you need to ground your outlook on life in his promises and you therefore will be optimistic and you will find that as a reasonable optimist, your life will produce more and more fruit and you'll be happy along the way. Okay, that's all I've got for you this week. I'll wrap it up right there. Thank you for listening. I hope that that is a blessing to you, helpful to you in some way. I'd be interested to hear back from people. This is a concept I don't know that I've read a lot about, at least in people talking about biblically grounded optimism. So I'd be interested in discussing it more with you. You can always email me at reagan at redeemingproductivity.com. I might be a little slow responding over the next week or so, but I love hearing from you guys. You can also find me on Twitter at Reagan T. Rose, and I would love to connect with you on there as well. Please, if you did like this episode, do subscribe, do review it, and I will see you again here next week. But until I do, remember this, in whatever you do, do it well and do it all to the glory of God.